This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. As we start this new, at, uh, at this new location, as we continue on the, the uh, journey of growing a congregation and, and impacting the area around us, I want to bring to mind some things uh, today as we consider the future consider the opportunities that we have before us. You know, as Jesus, when he was talking to the Samaritan woman, she ran to the city because salvation was now right in front of her. And she runs to the city to get people, to tell other people about this Christ, the Messiah is here. And as his disciples question him and ask, you know, what he was asking this woman about, he, he talks to them and tells them this in John 4, 35 through 36. He says, say, say not ye, there are four months and then cometh the harvest. So maybe a previous conversation, he's heard the disciples, they're talking about harvest time. They're like, well, it's about four months away. So he's asking them, isn't that what you guys said? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto it life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Jesus highlights to them, to the disciples, he's telling them, pay attention. Because the harvest time is now. The work of saving souls is here, now, right in front of them. And this opportunity was, was before them. And he explains to them this process of how it works. The one who sows and the one who reaps are working together. And the fruit that we're, that we're uh, planting and that we're sowing is eternal life. We're gathering souls together unto eternal life. So not only are we involved in this work and getting a reward, the people who are participating as far as those being saved are enjoying this reward of eternal life and that so that everyone that's laboring together will rejoice together. And what I want to highlight with this verse is, is to bring this to our attention today as members of this congregation. The work is here now. It's right in front of us. The fields are white and they're ready for harvest. There are souls out there that need saving and we have the information, we have the, the, the answers, we have the environment where somebody can come in and learn about Christ and, and their soul can be saved. So we can be sowers and we can be reapers together in the fields of the world. And how do we do this now? As a congregation, how do we work together and go forward in this work? I want to lay out a, a bit of a progression for you um, that, I think, that I think is just a natural progression as we think about how a congregation can work and, and would work and what we really need and want as far as the, the members here and, and what it means as far as the overall congregation. Uh, first of all, it starts with you, individual growth. We can't look at the congregation as a whole and say, what, do, what does the congregation need to do? We need to start with individuals. What do you need to do? What do I need to do? Because that's where it begins. And if we're not strong individuals, we're not gonna have a strong congregation. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 38 through 30, 35 through 38, Jesus said, and it went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. He's going about doing the work, preaching the message of the kingdom, healing people, doing, doing the things he needs to do. And, they were, and he looks upon the people and he has compassion because they were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. And he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the, to the harvest. So as Jesus went about doing the work of the, of the kingdom, spreading the gospel and doing these miracles and bringing souls 
uh, back to God, he recognized that there's plenty of work to be done. And, and the problem is that there's not enough laborers. And so it starts with us as individuals. We need to be workers because the church needs workers. The, this congregation needs workers. You know, when we sign up to be a Christian, it's not a passive event. It's not just my soul is saved, my sins have been washed away, and I'm good and I can go live however I want now and do whatever I want in, in peace. When we become Christians, we put on work boots. Putting on Christ means putting on work boots and getting out and laboring in the field and, and going out into the harvest and being laborers. Jesus prayed and asked the disciples to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send more laborers. So as individuals, we can pray for ourselves to be those workers and pray for more laborers to be added to the body of Christ so that we can be working and doing the work that is required to save souls as we go out and preach the kingdom. And it comes from a heart of compassion on the people. He saw and looked around at the world and said, these are people scattered with no leader. There's no shepherd. And he was the shepherd that he was calling them to. And we can have that same compassion on the world as we pray for workers and the need for workers. So it's not just about us. It's about the, the work of helping other people and saving other people as well. And that requires training. Uh, the, the roles, you don't just become a member of the church and all of a sudden you know what to do. Unfortunately, we don't have the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit like they did in the first century that would give them miraculous knowledge or miraculous abilities and these gifts to be able to, to do the work of, of the church. We need training. We need to help each other and, and work with one another to be trained up to do these things. So it's okay if you don't know how to do something right now, but ask, get involved. Uh, there's going to be time and opportunity because we need these roles for the growth of the kingdom. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what? Somebody asked me this the other day, and I, and I immediately said, for the edifying of the church. And he said, wrong. It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the training of the saints, so that they can do the work of the ministry, so that then the, the body of Christ can be edified. So yes, the end goal is the edifying and the building up of the body of Christ, but the reason for these different roles, teachers and evangelists and elders and, and, and apostles and all these things, was so that the saints can be equipped to go out and do the work of the ministry. And so there's a training that will be involved. And, and I'll tell you, we have, a mind, uh, have in mind for Pat to do a training work. Pat will do that at some point. And, and now that we have a place to, to actually meet in, that's going to take place. Um, I don't know when, since you know Pat, Pat has quite a bit of things to do, but... but we will put that on the schedule and, and we want as many people to participate in that as possible because we'll train people what to do in the assembly and how to, how to conduct the assemblies, how to say prayers, uh, how to, to, to teach. You may not put together a full-blown lesson and that's fine, but you still need to know how to communicate and exhort even with one passage if you're doing communion or if, you're, uh, if, if you want to share a verse before you lead a song or any other thing and it spills into other situations in your life being able to just read the scriptures analyze it and share a thought about the scriptures but it, and so there's training that will be involved and we want to share any skills and knowledge i want to put that out there we want to share any skills any knowledge that we might have that will help you do the work uh, that needs to be done because it cannot all be on just a few people or just a, you know, a handful in a congregation, that's not sustainable for the future of a congregation. Because the reality is, Pat's not going to be around forever. The, rea the reality is that 
something could happen to David, something could happen to me, something could happen to any number of, of us who are active and participating, doing things. And then what happens when somebody's gone? So we need people who are capable of filling in when something comes up or taking on these responsibilities and these roles. And everybody needs to have a mind to do that. It can't just be on a few. It's got to be distributed well enough. You know, it's like, it's like if you were walking and you, you use your predominant leg, that's going to get stronger and the other one's going to get weaker. You know, there's, that, that kind of happens naturally when you, like, or with your arm. I use my right arm more for riding and doing all these things, so my left hand is weaker. Uh, it's hard to open things with my left hand. It's much easier to use my, my stronger hand because it does most of the work. And so that kind of how is a picture of how it could work in a, in a body, in the body of Christ. If only a few people are doing all the things, then th that's where the strength is going to be, and other parts will be weak. But we don't want that. The whole body needs to be you know, working out together and growing together and strengthening together, and everyone contributes. And so with this mentality of individual growth and training, we need people who are not afraid of putting on the work boots and working. Uh, Luke chapter 6 or chapter 9, 62, Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So putting on work boots and being a, a laborer in the kingdom means we're getting out there to bust up the ground. We're getting out there to plant the seeds. We're getting out there to water the seeds. We're getting out there to, we're getting our hoe out and our other tools to go out and dig the weeds out. And, and then we're repeating the cycle of planting and watering and doing all the things we need to do. Always looking ahead at the work that's right in front of us now for the sake of our own lives and for the sake of other souls. And if we look back to our old way of life, to, to where we didn't have to do much, where we didn't have much responsibility, or we could go out and have whatever kind of fun we wanted with no consequence, that we're, so we thought, then we're going to constantly be getting distracted from the work that, it, that we need to do to save ourselves and the souls that are, that are around us, one another, and then the, the souls in the community. So we need to be constantly looking forward doing this work and being okay with that and aren't, and aren't afraid of work. Um, <clears throat> and as an individual, this means keeping yourself pure from the world, keeping yourself holy. In 2 Corinthians 6, verses 16 through 18, Paul talks about this. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We're the temple of God. And so what agreement is there? What concord? What, what connectivity and what relationship is there with the temple of God, with te the temple of idols? He says, you're the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And it, it goes into to the next chapter, into verse 1. Having therefore these promises, what promises? That, that we should come out and be separate, and if we do that, that God will be our father, and we will be his people, and we will be his temple. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. As individuals, we need to be growing and perfecting holiness in the fear of God, making sure our lives are shaped in holiness. And if we don't have that as our starting point, it doesn't matter what we do, we will not succeed. Because we need individuals who have this heart and have this mind to work on themselves and do the work that's in front of us to contribute to growing in holiness. Now that leads into the next thing, which is family growth. In order for us to have a strong congregation, we need strong individuals, but we also need strong families. Um, and this just naturally flows right into it. 
we need the kind of relationships that, that are spoken of and the kind of, with this concept in Psalms 127, verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. We need households, we need families, we need couples, relationships, marriages that are built upon the Lord. We need God to be the foundation of our, of our relationships. Because if we don't, we're laboring in vain. And a family is laboring in vain. And what this means is having a godly man, a godly woman, working together to help each other grow and reach souls. And it's all about continually growing, continually learning, continually helping each other to be holy and then to go out and do the work that's before them together. Uh, We're not laboring alone. When we enter a marriage and, and have this kind of relationship with our spouse, we're laborers together in the kingdom. It's not just one or the other doing all this work. It's both working together to do this work. And we need these kind of marriages in the church. And this congregation needs these kinds of marriages and these kinds of families. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18 through 19, God told the children of Israel, basically, what he's saying here, this is your way of life. Make it a way of life on purpose because we need good parents. Deuteronomy chapter 11, 18 through 19, Therefore you shall lay up these words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall teach them to your children speaking of them when you sit down in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down when you rise up we need good godly parents because godly marriages will lead to godly parenting fathers you need to be fathers mothers you need to be mothers we need children that are being raised up with this knowledge of God that is that is integrated into, it's just your way of life. It's not a weird thing to sit down and, okay, we're going to sit down and study the Bible. And I'll admit to you that I fail in that. Sometimes you get so busy and so focused on work that doing this kind of stuff is, it gets kind of feels weird and awkward to just break away from your normal schedule to sit down and, and talk Bible. That's a struggle. But we need families that are, that are making this an integrated part of their life and part of their day and it's just who we are as a family. This needs to be our way of life, and, and the church needs this kind of, these kinds of marriages and families and these kinds of children and, and, and family groups all together because as we have these kinds of godly marriages and godly uh, relationships and godly parenting going on, that leads to a benefit to the congregation that we desperately need, not just here at this congregation, but everywhere. Every congregation needs these types of things because having a godly family will lead to having the right kind of men that are qualified to be elders and deacons. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we find the qualifications. But I want to point out verse 5 alone so we we won't spend time reading all of those. But he says, If a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? There is a direct correlation between a man and how he leads his home and his family and if he's qualified and capable of, of leading in the church for Christ. Because if you don't know how to deal with your children, if you don't know how to communicate with them, you don't know how to build them up and help them learn and help them grow and discipline when there's problems that come up, how will you be able to do that for the souls in a congregation? And so your family is a training ground for leadership in the church because there's a direct correlation here that God lays out. And so we need people who have the strong individual holy lives with good godly marriages, being good godly fathers, so that we can have men that are qualified for eldership. Because men, the church needs you. All of you, all of you men that are in the, in the audience today, in the congregation, 
one day you might be an elder or a deacon. But you won't get there unless we follow the path that God has laid out for us as individuals, as families, as marriages. And that would be a shame. Because the church desperately needs these roles filled in order for the body of Christ to thrive. In in order for this congregation to thrive, we need elders and we need deacons. And I know that we can I know that we can get there. Absolutely. I have confidence in the in the quality of of men that we have here, in the hearts and the desires I think that, that are aligned from what I see. So I'm I'm proud of us and I'm excited for the future because I see us being a good, strong, solid congregation with the right kind of leadership that God wants for his congregations to have. And we need that. Um, and now as you look at this, individuals and, and marriages and families, it leads to the picture of what we have here today. A unified family. Because that's what the, the body of Christ is and that's what a congregation should be. We are a unified family in Christ because we literally are family in Jesus Christ. We've been washed by his blood, all of us, by the same blood. And now we all are, are connected by that. And we're family with one another. And we need to have this type of environment at this congregation. Working together with the common goal of promoting Christ in this world. Think of how much more work we can do. When we have godly people at all levels, all around us, sharing in the work that needs to be done. There is so much... There is so much potential, there is so much opportunity that lies before us when everybody works together. And we can only succeed in making an impact in Northwest Arkansas if all of us are working together. It's not about who's doing more or who's doing less, or, it doesn't matter. Do what you're capable of doing and make a contribution and work together. And don't worry about glory, don't worry about honor, don't worry about position, who cares about that? All that matters is saving the souls that are out there and helping ourselves to, to grow and be saved. That's what really matters. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 through 16, Paul explains this about how the body works together. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things which is the head, even Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. And it's not about us. In fact, Paul uh, writes to the Corinthians and he says, The the sower is nothing and the water is nothing. The waterer. He says, Apollos Apollos and I planted and watered, but he said, we're nothing. It's all about God, it's all about Christ, and it's all about the growth and about promoting Him. So that's what he's, he's saying here. Uh, we're all joined together, but all things grow up to Him, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together, uh, from whom, rather, the, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, makes increase to the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Do you see the language that Paul is using here to describe how this body works together? We're all connected together. We're all controlled by the same uh, source, the same head, that is Christ. We're joined together and compacted by, by what every joint supplies. Every piece, every person in the body should be supplying something so that the, the growing, it can work effectually. It can be an effective growth that we're seeing in every part and in the whole body as itself overall, centered around this concept of love. So every, every person has a contribution to make. And it's not about who can do more and who can do less, but it's just about stepping up and making a contribution that you can make. That's and, and with time, with energy, with, with help, with inviting somebody to services, with you know, financially or whatever it may be that you can contribute. 
you have a part to play, and you need to, to do that and not shy away from that. Um, I think you'll see for yourself that you'll, you'll, you will feel like you're thriving much more if you, if you just do uh, make the contribution. And then if you do it again and again, you'll just really feel the growth and really feel uh, yourself thriving. And, and it'll be neat to see. And your growth will inspire other people around you and help them to do the same. And it's just this great, uh, really like an ecosystem that is just constantly playing off of each other and working off of each other for the whole purpose of growing and promoting Christ. And it's a, such a wonderful and such a beautiful thing. Contrary to anything uh, out there in the world, that exists. Any other organization, there's nothing else like it in the world. There's nothing like the church. <clears throat> and for us to be able to do this, we need to be, as it says, edifying of itself in love. Love needs to be the foundation of our relationships. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. Above all things, have fervent charity, have fervent love among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We need to grow close to the point that we have this kind of love for one another. And I think we're on our way, absolutely. And I, and I, and I love that. I love to go to other places and brag about the congregation here and the work that we're doing here, honestly. Because I tell them we have such a great group Everybody is unified. Everybody loves each other. Everybody cares about each other. And that's an amazing environment. And with that, you, we can accomplish a lot. Because there's congregations that are devouring one another, and they're, they're fighting against each other, and they're competing against each other, and that causes destruction and chaos. And, and we don't have that here. And we need to, as much as is within us, keep that out. We need to keep this mentality of of having good relations, not just empty relationships where we're like, hey, how are you? Okay, and then we go on. We need to know what's going on in each other's lives. We need to know how we can help each other in each other's lives. We need to have the kind of love that invites other people. When he's talking about using hospitality, that doesn't mean just having people inside your house. That's good and well, but that doesn't matter if you don't actually love each other. We need to be hospitable, inviting people into our lives. And when we do that together, I think as, as we've seen already in the way that we are with one another, if we do that more and more, things will just get better and better, and we'll abound in love, and it'll be incredible what we, what we can accomplish um, and the opportunities that will arise from that. And I want to point something else to, uh, something else out as well. We, we intentionally try to work very hard to not be the kind of group that's kind of bickering about each other and going around talking about each other. We don't want that. Notice how Paul, or Peter here, quotes a, a proverb. He says, uh, Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And there's some Proverbs that he's referencing when he says that. One of them says, uh, love covers a multitude of sins, but hate stirs up strife. So if we're a hateful person, we're going to go around stirring up strife between people. But I want to point out this proverb, Proverbs 17, verse 9, that's a similar line. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth the matter shall separate, uh, matter separateth very friends. We could, go around, cause, we could go around causing such destruction to people's relationships, even very close ones, if we go out and repeat a matter, meaning something happened, we're going to go out and complain about something that somebody did, or we're annoyed about something somebody does. And if we go around and talk about it to everybody else, we're going to cause rifts. And we intentionally and want to make it very clear, we do not want that kind of environment at the congregation. 
and we, we try to work very hard to keep things at a minimum. We try to protect people's privacy. We try to be discreet about anything that may come up. We don't go around trumpeting all this stuff that's happening on purpose. And the kind of love that Peter's talking about is one that maintains unity. It's one that maintains peace. And, and when we love like this, we'll be able to, and here's one of the things I think it's saying, is we'll be able to look past the annoying things that, that each of us might do. Uh, I know I do a lot of them. Uh, we might be able to look past the faults that we see in each other so that we can really care about each other. Because if all we're doing is focusing on the faults that somebody has, that's a barrier that's not going to let us care about them. But with this kind of love that Peter's talking about, fervent charity among yourselves, we'll be able to look past all that and really see the heart of a person and really try to help them. And, and when we love like this, we're not going to go complain to others about the problems because that will destroy this congregation. And we don't want that. And I know that you don't want that. Um, now, however... Because love covers a transgression, that doesn't mean we look the other way when something is wrong or something's concerning. Because true love will speak up and help somebody work through a problem. Proverbs 27, verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. If we just come up to each other, Oh no, your life is fine, your life is great, your life is perfect. That's deceitful. And that's not real love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It doesn't mean we go around with a sword just trying to slash everybody we can and hurt whoever we can with our words. But when we have a real concern about something somebody's doing, we need to be okay at this congregation going to one another, having the kind of relationships that we're not going to get offended if somebody brings something to me. And, and I'm not going to feel like I can't come to you and bring something to you. We need to have that kind of group and that kind of friendship because that's born of love because if we really love each other we'll care enough to say something if, if we see a problem or we're concerned or just talk to each other about things and not just get all flustered or ruffles, our feathers ruffled and get upset with each other and cause these these chaos these rifts and that will just bring utter chaos and destruction to the congregation i want us to have this kind of environment these kind of relationships because that is amazing when we can achieve that and so we should be working towards that it's not easy and there'll be hiccups along the way and bumps along the road, but I think, I know that we can get there. First Corinthians 5, um, because it is our responsibility, we need to know that. It's our responsibility to care for one another at, at this congregation and in the church in general. First Corinthians 5, 11 through 13, uh, David brought this point up in, in a sermon that he, he uh, did, that we're not the world police. It's not our job to go out and be like, bringing you know, the world into to our submission and making them follow the commandments of God. But it is our responsibility to care about the people who are in Christ. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 5. There in verse 11 he says, But now I have written to you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or railer or drunkard or extortioner. With such an one, no, not to eat. We need to be careful. And when we see a brother that is caught up in these sins and their life is being dominated by these sins, Paul says we need to separate from that. For what have I to, to do to judge them also that are without, meaning those who are outside of the church? What, what have I to do to judge them? Do not you judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. We need to be watchful to the point that if we see the, the destructive behavior or toxic 
behavior from somebody that's like a fornicator, covetous, idolater, railer, all of these sins, to, to root that out because it's like a cancer that grows. And if we just accept it and are okay with it, then it's going to make us comfortable with sin and then it's just going to grow and it's going to spread and it's going to be terrible. But the reason I bring this up is because our responsibility is to care out of love for the people that are inside the church. Not just in the congregation that, and the members here, but the church at large. We need to care about that and make that our focus. We're not the world police going out and, and judging the world outside of Christ. Uh, yes, we can promote godliness out in the world, but it, our primary responsibility is the members of the kingdom. And we need to be paying attention to that and caring for one another and speaking up if there's a problem. Now the whole goal of this, separating from them, and Paul talks about it in, a, in another epistle, the whole goal of this is so that they can come back, so that they can see what they're missing, see what they're missing out on to restore them, not to just you know, throw them away and, oh, you're sinful and you're, you're terrible and you can't be redeemed. That's not the point. The point is to help them change and, and, and bring restoration so we can enable these kind of processes when something like that happens, out of love. Let us consider one another, the Bible says, and provoke one another to love and good works. The whole point is for us to be pushing each other to, do, to love and to do better and better. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day of Christ is coming. And we need to love each other so much that we care about all of us standing together before Christ in joy. Because we want every soul to be saved. We want every soul to stand before Christ and to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the kind of love that should abound among us. Provoking each other to love and good works for that goal of being saved. The church needs to be a pillar and ground of truth. In order for us to, if we have this kind of relationship, we need to focus on that and make love the core of what we do. But we also need to make the truth the core of, of who we are and what we stand on. 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul said, If I tarry long that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. This congregation in this area is a pillar and ground of truth. And that's what we want to be and that's what we need to be. We need to be a, a, uh, we need to be a solid foothold for the truth is and we're not going to give that up. Because, and, and the way we do that is by making the, the, the Bible, the teachings of Christ, the center of what we care about. John 6, 63, the spirit, it's the spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The words of Christ are everything. And that's the mentality and that's the heart we need to have. And that's what we need to teach and that's what we're going to teach here and we need men that, that are interested in teaching that and want to teach that and women that are interested in, in having that kind of mentality as well. First, 2 Timothy 4, 2-4 Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. When it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Be ready. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall be turned away, they shall turn their, away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. It's, not, it's happening now. Out in the world, there's all kinds of churches that are teaching all kinds of doctrines and there's all kinds of ideas and people are eating it up and they love it. They have itching ears 
and they go and find these, these teachers that tell them exactly what they want to hear so that they don't have to be convicted and don't have to change their lives, and they turn away their ears from the truth of the Scriptures. And we need to be the kind of congregation that will not back down from the truth. We're not, we're not going to do it in a hateful way. With, we're going to do it with long-suffering. We're going to do it with doctrine. But we're going to do what needs to be done, and we're not going to just twist around the Scriptures to make people happy. We're going to be honest about problems that, that the Scriptures say are sinful, and we're not going to shy away from that, just to please people and to draw a crowd. And if we never grow because we can't find anybody who's interested, that's fine. Because I know there's plenty of people here that are interested in the truth, that want to know what the doctrines are, that aren't just looking to be told what they want to hear. That's the kind of congregation we want to be. Second Timothy 2, 24-26, The servant of the Lord must not strive. We're not out here trying to fight with people. But be gentle to all men, able to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. The whole purpose of us being the solid pillar ground of truth is so that we can go in meekness and gentleness, teach people what they need to hear so that perhaps they will have repentance and turn away and be freed from their slavery, freed from the captivity of Satan. That's what we want. We want people to enjoy that. They're not going to do that if we're not the pillar and ground of truth. If they can't come to us and count on us to teach them what the Bible teaches, then they're never going to find escape from, from the clutches of Satan. They will forever be captured by Satan and go that way until Christ comes and then their souls will be condemned. And perhaps ours will be because we didn't teach them the truth as well. We need to be that kind of group and fight for the faith and defend the truth. There's going to be all kinds of false doctrines that are easy to kind of get on board with, that sound fun, that sound exciting, that people may want, but we're going to work hard to keep that stuff out because we need to be contenders and protectors of, of the truth. Jude uh, 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered for the saints. They dealt with a lot of false doctrines in the first century, and there was a lot of exhortation to them to be defenders of the faith. And that's what we need to be as a congregation, defenders of the faith. Not just going along with everything that comes along, but standing firm on the, on the foundation of Christ. Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children. We want to be a good, strong, doctrinally mature congregation that knows what the Bible teaches and isn't just following along with tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. We want good, solid teaching that helps us to be stable in this crazy world. Because it's crazy out there. There's a lot of crazy doctrines. A lot of them disguised as Christian doctrines that seek to deceive. And if you just get caught up with any of that, it's going to lead to destruction not only for yourself, but for the congregation, if, if that's the kind of thing that begins to corrupt us. So we need to be the, a, a, a pillar and ground of truth, standing firmly on the scriptures out of love, out of care, with long-suffering, with gentleness, not giving in and not yielding the truth to go and do whatever the world is doing. It doesn't matter what's popular. It matters what the Bible teaches, and that's what we need to be. And the reason we can be this and, and the way we're going to be laborers in this field and be effective 
if we accomplish these things, and you see this progression, I hope, as, as, as it's been laid out, we can be a beacon of hope to this area. Because that's what we need to be. It's not a secret. We can see the chaos that's going on in the world. We can see the hate. We can see the division. We can see the heartbreak. We can see the depression. Suicide rates are through the roof. Because people just have no hope. They're missing something in their life. And I want to tell you, we have what they need. We absolutely do. And we need to be solidly on the truth so that as the world is going crazy, there's a place for people to come and stand on solid ground. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken them to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And, and I'll take that and make this application. If we hear this as a congregation and do these things that, that Christ wants us to do, that he's laid out in the scriptures, our congregation will be built upon a rock. And the rain will descend and the floods will come and the winds will blow and beat upon it and it's not going to fall because it's founded upon a rock. The world needs a solid place to stand when everything else is falling apart. And we can be that beacon of hope to them. We absolutely can. People want a place to belong, we're here. People want some kind of fulfillment in their life, the scriptures are here. People want some kind of, uh, they, they want something to follow and to believe and to belong to. The scriptures have everything we need. In fact, the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 2 verse uh, 9 or 10, I believe, that in Christ we are, we are complete in Him. That thing that's missing from our life, it's Christ. And we are complete in Him. And we have that. We have what people need. And we should be trying to get as many people as we can to come be a part of this as possible. But people are going to be looking. And I think the church stands to gain if we can be the model of the new way of life, the new man made after Christ's image. I think the church stands to gain a lot. If we can be a good, strong, solid group, then we will be, we will be ready to help and be instant to help. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. At that time you were without Christ. People that are outside of Christ... Notice how they're described. They're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant to promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the world around us, folks. And we have what they need. And so we need to be standing firm and be that pillar and ground of truth and be that beacon of hope. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Do all things without murmuring and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. We need to stand firm together, holding forth the word of life, letting that light shine brightly, because the people in the world are in darkness and they need somewhere to go. They need guidance. They need help. And if we're doing what we need to do, we will be that light that attracts them to come to us. And it's not us, it's coming to Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's all about helping other people come to Christ. And that's what we should be about. Standing strong in this crooked and perverse nation as a light that people will come to. Because we have what they need. But we're not going to be that if we aren't the kind of individuals we need to be, 
if we don't have the kind of marriages we need to have, and the kind of parenting and families we need to have, and the kind of congregation we need to be. And so I want to just lay this out and, and, and call this to your attention, that the work is here now, and the fields are white, and we have a tremendous opportunity and, and blessing to be able to impact a lot of people in this, in this area. There's a lot of people in Northwest Arkansas, and, and I think we can make a big difference if we're willing to work together for this. I hope it's an encouragement to you. Uh, I hope that this, the study has been a blessing to you. If you feel like you need prayers for strength for whatever reason, maybe you feel like you're lacking in some way. Maybe you feel like you haven't contributed what you need to. Maybe you feel like you're weak in some area. Maybe there's sin that's dominating your life and you know that you're not growing and perfecting holiness the way you need to be. That happens to us. The blessing is because we're a unified family and have love for one another, we're here to pray for each other and lift each other up and study through these problems and help you grow and, and help, you, help you and help ourselves help one another to be the kind of people we need to be. And so in love and in meekness and gentleness, we ask that if you need prayers for any of these reasons, please come forward as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.